At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Last time, I was looking out over our congregation from this point. Man, it sure looked a lot different. Wow. How many were here when we worshiped here regularly? Can I see your hand? Look around, everybody. That's that. And maybe a third. That's pretty awesome. Amazing to see what God does. It, it seems like the, the effort of uh, the church plant here just seemed, just constantly, just had challenge after challenge after challenge uh, over these past five years. But man, God has been so good. And as Eric said, his gospel has been seen every single moment. Uh, what the enemy intended for evil, God has used for good over and over and over. Praise God. Thank you, everybody, for your patience with us today. Praise God we have a place that's warm and good. Praise God for the veterans that are in town that have a place to gather here faithfully, and they share that with us this morning. Um, so we've just got some wonderful friends in the community that allowed us to be here today. Romans chapter 7. Um, the, the scripture will not be on the screen today. Because there's no such thing here today, so hopefully you have a device or you have uh, the written word in front of you, you can follow along. This is going to be a, kind of a lengthy passage this morning, um, it'll be good for you to have it. Uh, there's still f at least four copies of the Bible over there on the little table, if you don't have one you can feel free to, to even leave your seat now and grab one if you would like, uh, because it'll be good for you to follow along. I hope that... I can do justice to the richness of this passage because it is, it is powerful. Let's take time right now and ask God's Holy Spirit just to work in our hearts as we spend time in his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for bringing us, Lord, some here for the first time today. I'm so excited about that. Some have been here for the last five years, and we celebrate that, Lord. Thank you for the new friends that we've met since then and now have joined with us and a part of the life-giving ministry of, of your church, Father. Thank you for those that worked hard to uh, gather the things we needed to bring them over here, Lord, and to set this place up and to, uh, to serve in ministry. Thank you for their kindness and their generosity of time and effort. But most importantly, Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us, who lives in us, that unites our hearts together with you so we can come boldly to your throne knowing that we'll find the grace to help in time of need. And we admit today, we do need you. We need a fresh word from you. We need something to get us through this week. We need clarity because the culture that we live in can be so blurry and, and confusing and deceptive. So we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be very clear and is speaking to us today. I thank you that your spirit unites us together. Uh, there's young here today. There's old. There's plenty of people in between. Uh, 
there's people that live in the community. There's people that drive here. There's some that are new to the faith. There's some that have been in your kingdom for a long time. There's some that are checking it out to see if, if this truly is the pearl of great price. If it's worth selling everything we have to, to throw our, our faith into your hands and, and experience your grace, Lord. And so I pray wherever we are that your Holy Spirit would just do a powerful work today. Give me grace. Allow me to speak in a way that honors you. I pray that what you want us to hear today would be clearly heard. So we give you praise for everything that will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, over the, over the years, um, I've had several opportunities to give the invocation at um, our Michigan uh, legislature and the Senate and the House of Representatives. And it's, been, it's been fun to do that. Sometimes I was invited by a friend that I had made uh, that was serving in government. And so that especially gave me an interesting insight into the working of the legislature for our, our great state of Michigan. Uh, I was able to walk the halls of where many of those offices are and meet several different uh, legislators and, and work and go with them touring the facility and, and such things, meeting various people. Um, but one of the intriguing things that I was able to see is a tradition that I had no idea takes place uh, whenever a bill is passed. So whenever a le legislature who sponsors a bill and it goes through you know, all the different uh, aspects of review. And then, then that, either the House or the Senate, passes that, uh, that bill. The sponsor of that bill then purchases a gift, just a small little trinket, for all the people that help co-sponsor that, that bill. When I was there with, with, our, uh, with our representative, it was actually um, a rep from the west side of the state, from Traverse City. And so as they came into the chambers that day, there was a jar of tart uh, cherry jam at the feet of all the, all the reps that, that helped co-sponsor and, and move that thing through. Uh, and yeah, I don't remember some of the other things, but I know they said that, you know, many times it's a bottle of wine from a winery in the district that was given or, or a maple syrup from a district or a jar of honey or whatever. Just small little trinkets just to say thank you and we've got the best district in the state. It was their kind of statement of, of saying that. But as I've experienced some of those things, there was a thought that came to me. Wow, there's a lot of bills that get passed. There's a lot of laws that come into play for our state. I wonder how many laws there are. Our state is about 185 years old. And every year, there's many laws that get added to the books. So I thought, I wonder how many there are. Anybody have a guess how many laws there are in the state of Michigan? <laughs> Too many. There's a libertarian in the group. <laughs> Well, so if you go online and, and you do the search, you see where all the laws are kept online. It's apparently not a book in the world big enough to keep all those laws, but online there is, in the cloud. And this book of laws has 184 chapters. <laughs> 
And every one of those chapters has hundreds of laws. Now, some have been repealed and some are still in existence, but I found no source that could tell us how many laws there are in the state of Michigan. But I will tell you this. It's good for the state of Michigan to have good laws. It really is. As you exit out this parking lot, it'll be kind of tricky, right? Does the signal light, does that, does that mean you? Because there's not really a light shining your way. And so there's cars coming this way that have a signal light. There's a car coming this way that has a signal light. But you don't really. And so what do you do? Do you, do you go when the red light is coming this way or the red light is coming this way? And you're going to wrestle through that because you know by experience that it's really good that people abide by those signal lights. Wouldn't you agree? When it's red, that people actually stop. That's really helpful. It, when you get, some of you parked across the street, and so when you walk the crosswalk, you're going to be glad that cars pay attention to those signal lights. And when you journey, you're going to go to school. Some of you students are going to go to school, and you're going to say, oh, this school has so many stupid rules. No, it's really good that your school has rules. Just imagine a school with none. How much learning would potentially be done? Some of you are going to go to work on Monday, and you're going to see the rules at work, and you're going to say, wow, who came up with these things? What were they smoking when they did this kind of thing? This is nuts. But, you know, it's good for your company to have rules, too. Imagine if we were lived in a society where just everybody could do what was right in their own eyes. It would be anarchy. Laws are good. But here's another thing we're learning as the legislators in the state of Michigan come back together and somebody has this idea that all those hundreds and thousands of laws the state of Michigan has, it's missing at least one. So we got to come up with this rule. And what's behind that law that they're seeking to, to pass through the review session is good because they feel like oh, our laws aren't quite doing it. Maybe another one would make things better. But what's behind all that is really that recognition that the laws aren't going to be enough. No matter how many co you come up with, no matter how hard you work at making sure the boundaries that we establish are exactly right, the law will fail us. It will. It won't be completely good, even with so many good laws. And it's good to have good laws, but no matter how hard you work at establishing laws, they reach their limit. And as we look in the book of Romans, in chapter 7, it doesn't talk about the Michigan legislature, okay? But it does help talk about the law, and it helps us understand that the law itself will fail us. But where the law fails, Christ prevails. Where the law fails, Christ prevails. The law will always come reach its limit. It will always fail us. But Christ never will. That's what Paul 
was teaching the people. Chapter 7 is built on a very important concept that chapter 6 and 5 helped, helped build. Paul presented this idea that if you live in a way where you attempt to keep the moral or religious law to be right with God, you will continue to be in sin because the law will fail you. You can never keep it all, and the law can never be complete. But when we place our faith in Jesus, in the person, we become united in him, with him in his death. And when he died for our sins, because of our faith in him, we become united in his death. He died for our sins, so that means we died to our sins. It no longer has a stranglehold on us anymore. When we place our faith in Jesus, we unite in his resurrection. When he was raised victoriously, we then rise in victory over our sin with him. We're given new life. As Eric talked about earlier, the gospel affects every day of our life because we are new in Christ. So beautiful concept that Paul presents. But then in chapter 7, he, he gives this thought. He says, okay, but as you think about this, there's some potential questions you might ask. One thing, if the law will fail us, then, number one, is the law sin? To the believers who had placed their faith in him that maybe grew up in the Jewish faith, and Paul's saying the law will fail you, so they said, okay, then I'll place my faith in Jesus. He'll never fail. So that law that I used to abide by, is that then sin? Let's look at the passage and see what it says. Enough, enough me talking. Let's see what the word says. Romans 7, verse 7. Look at it with me. What shall we then say? That the law is sin? Well, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you should not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul raises this question. If we're freed from the law because of our faith in Jesus, then was the law sinful? And he says, well, well, that would be a problem because God gave the law to Moses. So if the law is sinful, hmm, that makes a problem. The psalmist in Psalm 19, a beautiful chapter, he writes this. The psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honeycomb. Okay, so, so the Bible says that the law is pure and good and holy. Paul writes, 
By faith in Jesus, you're freed from the law. So is the law sinful? No way. So what's the problem? Paul says, here's the problem, sin. The problem wasn't simply the law. The problem was sin. Sin corrupts everything. Sin messes everything up. It messes up human relationships, wouldn't you agree? Aren't human relationships kind of broken? Every single one of them, even those of you who are happily married, don't you realize there's still challenges? Sin creeps in. Think of the garden, the story of the Garden of Eden. Everything was beautiful. There was harmony. Adam and Eve, beautiful home. Rebel against God. Kicked out of the garden. Sin enters the world. And then what happened? Cain kills Abel. Whoa. That didn't take very long. Where their children murder the other. Sin corrupts. Sin corrupts relationships. Sin corrupts, uh, it corrupted nature. Uh, thorns and thistles began to grow in the garden. Weather patterns grew harsh. Enmity arose between humans and animals. Why? Because sin messes everything up. And Paul is saying, that's what happened to the law. Sin is in the world. And so sin causes the law to fail. The law is good. He says it's holy and righteous and good. And then he says, you know, one, one obvious one benefit of the law is it helps us know what's not right. Right? The law tells us that things aren't right. So covetousness. Paul says, I would have never known covetousness was wrong if it hadn't been for the law that says do not covet. It's an interesting choice he picks because it's not like an action. We know stealing is wrong because you take something, it's not yours. But covetousness, you can't even see it. It's like inside. And Paul says, I wouldn't have even known that it's, that it's sin to desire something that's not rightfully mine. Just wanting it, that's wrong too. Later, he would, Paul would write to the Galatians, he said that um, the idolatry and greed and adultery that all has its heart in covetousness. So the law is good because it taught me to want something that's not rightfully mine is wrong. And so the law is good. But here's the problem with the law because of sin. Those of you that don't struggle with covetousness, you'd be able to look on all those of us that do and say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be like me? I saw how some of you grew up. You grew up waiting for that Sears and Roebuck catalog, the Christmas catalog to come to your house. And then you would take that as a kid and you'd leave through it and you'd circle what you wanted. And you, you'd give that to your parents and there wasn't like two things. <laughs> right? How many grew up doing that? Uh-huh, you old dudes. Some of you know, you know what a catalog is? know what Sears and Roebuck even is, right? Some of you just circled like 60 things and dog-eared all these pages on this catalog. Why? Because you want it. Some of you 
realize it's actually kind of fun to covet. It's fun to not just window shop, but but connive and, and plot and how I can get all those things that I don't presently have, but, but I want them. And so even just that idea of coveting, you think, okay, so that's wrong? Well, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what some of us do with the law. We hear something is wrong, so don't do that. So we think, okay, then that's what I'm going to do. How many have kids that were like that? Had kids. Once they know what they're not supposed to do, that's what they did right? That's another way that sin shows itself in the law. Sin corrupts everything. Either it causes you to say, okay, then I want it more, or it says, I don't do that, and so I'm better than you, <laughs> right? It raises this pride in us that some even say, I don't commit any of those things, so I am right with God, right? Remember that rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what must I do to e inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to keep the commandments, he says, I've done that since a child. I've kept them all. Anything else? And Jesus says, oh, all the commandments? Okay, well, sell what you have and give to the poor. Let's see if he keeps the commandments. Sell what you have and give to the poor. And he said, mm, I don't want that. And he walked away because he loved his stuff. Is the law sinful? No. The law is not sinful. But some people are kept from Christ because they feel like they need to add something in order to come to Jesus. They think, well, I need to clean up my life first. Or some, I've even heard some people say, are you saying if I become a Christian then I need to stop my, my drug habit? And some of us have even counseled people, well, you know, you can only have one God. So if that's the God of your life, you're gonna have to, that's a wrong answer. Some have said, if, you, if I come to Jesus, does that mean I'm going to have to forgive my sister who hurt me so deeply? And some with good intention have said, well, that's something you're going to have to do, but that's the wrong answer. Because to come to Jesus, you just come to him. You don't have to worry about commandments to keep because you can never keep them all. That's why we come to Jesus, because the law can never satisfy. So that we give to him and we just come to him and say, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I'm separated from my creator and I know that nothing will satisfy me except a relationship with my creator. So I come to you by faith, believing that Jesus' death and resurrection paid for everything, even the bitterness I harbor in my heart. I come to you. Some, some have said, well, I'll come to Jesus. I'll come and receive God's forgiveness, when I, but I, first I got to forgive myself. Ah, all that is saying, I got to come to Jesus and do a little bit too. No, you never can. Salvation comes when we say, God, I have nothing good in me. So I come to you seeking your forgiveness and your cleansing. Let's go to number two. I was going to ask, answer that question of, 
okay, but so I don't have to forgive my sister? <laughs> That's really cool. That'd be really great, but let's get to that in a minute. Number two, if the law is good, will it bring death to me? That's what he says in verse 13. Romans 7, 13, he says, Did that which is good then, the law, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul says emphatically, no, 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 the law didn't produce death. The law caused me to know what's right and what's wrong. It's sin that caused me to do what I shouldn't do and want what is wrong. And sin led to death. The law didn't kill me. It just showed how dead I really was. The law shows either I'm really, really guilty or it shows I'm guilty because I think I'm not. It's kind of like why some of, you, some of you don't go to the doctor or you don't want to have that test because I'm afraid of what they might tell me. Right, so, so you avoid going to the doctor because you feel like it might be bad. So how will a test that tells you what is, how is that going to be a bad thing? Because if it's a bad thing, shouldn't it be dealt with? Same thing with, with the law. The law is just telling you what is wrong. So the law is not wrong, it just tells you that something is wrong. The law can't make you right. Just like the test that the doctor wants to prescribe, that can't make you right. It's not going to solve anything. It just kind of reveals what is. And sometimes, still using that physical illustration, sometimes there's things that we know are probably making us sick it's just hard to stop because they taste so good. You know, the sodium level's high, but I love bacon. And I love my chips and salsa and cheddar cheese and such things. So, so, so I know I shouldn't, but there's something in me that says, yeah, but it tastes so good. So I... I know I shouldn't use that sugar and it kicks my sugar level high or whatever that does, but it's hard to drink coffee without it. So I'm just going to put a little bit in there. I, I'm sorry, we're dabbling. Sorry about that. But here's, listen, listen to this, um, this kind of self-portrait from Paul as he goes on in this passage. He gives this tug of sin, helping us see Paul's experience. I believe that Paul's writing about his experience before he met Jesus. Some believe this is after he met Jesus, but it doesn't really matter. The, the, the end is the same. Listen to verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. I don't like high blood pressure. But I keep eating bacon. I don't want high blood pressure, but I do want bacon, so I keep doing the things that I should hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. 
So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul says, here's what's happened in my life. I know the law, and that's what I want to do. But if I get real honest with myself, I keep doing something different. Here's the law. It says, don't do that. And I don't want to do that. But if I were honest with you, I'd have to admit, there's something in me that says, yeah, just, just do it. You're going to feel better if you do. So I've got this, I've got this war going on. Somebody, somebody once said that Paul must be a golfer because golfers know that when you're coming up to the ball and you know, okay, keep your head down. Don't look up. Just keep that head down. Stay smooth. And then you look, oh, I didn't want to look up, but I did. That's kind of what golfers do. You know what not to do, but you do it anyway. You know what you should do, but you don't do it when it comes time to swing. But Paul's not talking about a silly game. He's talking about life. He says, this is how I found myself living. The things that I want to do, I just don't always do them. New Year comes, and I think, okay, it's time to get my life right back on track. I'm going to make it a point to read the scripture every day. Who wouldn't think that's a good thing to do? So every day, I'm going to read the scripture. And if not three days into it, we realize, oh, that thing I wanted to do, I'm not doing. No more road rage. We're done with that. All right, everybody agree and say aye. Aye, right, no more road rage. On the way to work Monday morning. Right? Oh, I don't want to do that, but I find myself continuing to do that. Paul wants us to feel the emotion of this. Verse 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, my body, there's another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says, there's like a war going on, a civil war. I'm just one guy. And there's the desire that says, yes, you want that. And the desire that says, no, but it's wrong. And there's this war going on. And too many times I lose the war. Civil war is terrible. Look through history. Every time there's a civil war, it's terrible. The North and the South coming together and the hundreds and thousands of people that were killed, not just from the bullets of their brothers, but from the disease and things that comes with war. It's horrible. You think of Rwanda and the Hutus and Titsus coming against each other and the atrocities that took place in that land breaks our hearts. I've told you about my learning the history of Liberia where the Liberian tribes and the repatriated people come against each other and where they, where they strip their entire country of its entire infrastructure in that blinding war. There's so much collateral damage from civil war. 
And Paul says, that's how I am. That's how I feel. There's this battle. There's this war that's going on. And then he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't fix it. Some people aren't here in this room anymore worshiping with us because they felt this war. They felt so defeated. They threw in the towel and said, then I'm, I'm done. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just throwing in the towel of my faith because I can't win the battle. Some of you are here, but you're hanging on by a thread. Wondering, is there any point to keep fighting because I feel like I feel worse than if I stop fighting. There's a war. Paul says, wretched man that I am. That next verse says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can, where's the victory in this? Paul says, it's not in the law, it's not in the thing, it's not in a do or a don't. It's in Jesus. He says, here's what I found. I found that Jesus gives me life. Nothing else could. Not meeting someone else's standard, not my own standard, not even the standard of my religion. Nothing else can satisfy me. Only a person, only Jesus. He's the only thing that can save me. It's not performance. It's not a policy. It's not a regulation. Where the law fails, Christ prevails. And that's why we commend to you this morning, not, not joining a church, not getting together in a movement or, or establishing new habits, but instead fall in love with a person who gave his life for you. Embrace the love of a creator who did not want you to face eternity without him. And he moved heaven and earth to come to us to say, just join with me and I'll, I'll allow you to experience, I'll let you experience what life truly is. And know that it's not meeting regulation, it's falling deeper, deeper in love with me where you'll find life. So if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your faith, given your life to him, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, can I beg you to run to him? Just be done with the wrestling and the fighting and the strain of trying to meet some standard and instead just submit. That's what it is. It's submitting to him and saying, okay, I'm done. I can't earn your favor. I can't meet a mark. So I just rest in you. I believe in your son that he's given his life for my sin. It's not anything I could bring. It's only what he's brought to me. Now, maybe some of you would say, yeah, I thought I did that. But I still feel this pull of sin. I still feel a civil warrant in me. Well, I urge you over these next several days to read chapter 8 over and over and over again. Because Paul, with that phrase, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he is setting up this huge, powerful concept that's all in chapter 8 where he talks about the liberty in which we can stand in Christ. He talks about the spirit that lives inside of us who will empower goodness through us, not us in our effort, but the spirit who powerfully works within us. 
who takes our prayers to God with groanings that can't be uttered, who floods in us his presence and his power, so out from us comes love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control, faith, all those things that are the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. It's God empowering us, not us just bucking up and working harder for God. It's God working through us. So if you're a Christian today and you're tired of the battle, let me just encourage you. Stop simply fighting and submit to the God that lives inside of you. Stop living according to the law of materialism or approval of others or feeding the flesh. Instead, live according to his law that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then just love other people. And you'll find the commandments, they're kept. Just more and more. As you love God more and more, as you love people more and more, you just start keeping the law. Father, thank you for giving us hope in Jesus. Thank you for not calling us and requiring us to to do a certain thing or uh, accomplish a certain standard. Lord, for the secular one among us, Lord, that says, I just don't want any of this religion. That's why it's such bondage to people. Lord, open their eyes to the fact that seeking to live according to the law that's in their own heart is bondage too. That every law apart from Jesus hits a wall and leaves one empty. For those that are seeking any religious system, to earn a standing with you. Lord, I pray their eyes would be open to every law leads to emptiness, except through the person of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the greatness of God that was demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that our greatest enemy was conquered. Thank you that what We may fear death itself, Lord. We can know that we have eternal life through Christ. Thank you, Lord, for granting us your holiness. It's not our holiness that we have to conjure up. It's your holiness flooding through us. I thank you that we don't have to come up with love for other people that are hard to love. It's your love overflowing through our life and, and allowing your love to flow through us to others. It's just so much, Lord. So much of life is found when we realize that Jesus lives in us. Lord, convince us of this. We think of your word and how it speaks to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. As we sing and meditate on this, Maybe, maybe there's some, as we sing, maybe what God wants to do because he's spoken to you, maybe he wants you just to sit down where you are right now and just talk to him and say, God, I'm sorry for trying to do it all in my own strength. And I, instead, I want to receive your strength flowing through me. And then stand up with us after you pray that confession and stand and sing and confident that it's God's power working through us. Maybe there's some here this morning that would say, I don't think I've ever truly placed my faith in him. I'm just trying to do it myself. Again, maybe God's call on you is to sit down 
talk to God and say, God, I accept salvation through your son. I place my faith in you. And then stand with us and sing with faith and confidence that God is good. But let's respond as God's spoken to us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.